Episode 92 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host, McKay Rippey, and with us from lovely La Jolla, California, is our certified show producer and brains behind her business, Aurora. Hello, and I have an exciting story to tell. I just oh, removed... Oh, do tell, then. I just removed a metal splinter from my finger. Ow. Yeah, not just a wood one, but a metal one. I was doing some... Work. I was replacing some electrical outlets yesterday, actually, and somehow or another, I got a you know a splinter of metal in my finger that I had thought was just a stab. But I woke up this morning and I realized, no, no, it's something in there. So, long story short, I was able to get it out, and then I was feeling it, and it was like, oh, this is still a little bit infected. So I went with the old faithful and put some tea tree oil on there. Nice. Love tea tree oil. Uh-huh. The other thing about tea tree oil, it does have biofilm reducing, breaking down capabilities. So it's one of the remedies that we include in liposomal mixtures to help uh, sneak their way through biofilm. So tea tree oh. oil is good stuff. <laughs> All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit about today's expert, Lisa Bloomquist. Growing up, Lisa was an active person who hiked and camped regularly. One day she was prescribed antibiotics and developed fluoroquinolone toxicity syndrome, or floxing, which caused severe physical and neurological damage that took years to recover from. She is now an advocate for responsible use of fluoroquinolones and created the website Floxy Hope to educate on the dangers of those antibiotics and to create support for people suffering from fluoroquinolone toxicity syndrome. Thanks, Aurora. Here's our interview with expert Lisa Bloomquist. For the people in the Lyme community, like I just, I want them to not add insult to injury if they can possibly avoid it. You know, like I think that there's, that there's a lot of people get somewhat territorial, I think, over a lot of these kind of multi-symptom chronic illnesses. And, you know, everyone who's been hurt by a fluoroquinolone wants everyone who's taken a fluoroquinolone to realize that they're floxed and, uh, and a lot of people like who, who want um, Lyme disease to be more recognized, like think that uh, like really everyone has Lyme disease and like both of these syndromes are real and we have more in common than we, than we don't like let's kind of band together type of type of thing too. Like those are the basic things that I kind of want to get, get across. Okay. And what are the fluoroquinolones? What are the brand names that we're familiar with? Cipro. And the, uh, the generic for that is Ciprofloxacin, Levaquin, and that's Levofloxacin. Avalox is Moxifloxacin. Floxin is Ofloxacin, and then there are a few others that are mainly used in veterinary use, and they have um, other names overseas. But in the U.S., those are the the primary ones. The big three, and mm-hmm. are these used a lot by physicians? Or are these oh, like yeah. the okay? Yeah, yeah. Like, like the most recent statistics I have are five years old now. But back in uh, 2011, there were uh, about 26 million prescriptions for these a year. Okay, so this is not just some small last resort batch. They're used no. for like like they're used for all sorts of infections. 
you know, things, things as simple as uh, sinus infections. And actually recently, and this is something like I'd like to mention is that just last month, the FDA made an announcement saying that, uh, the warning labels need to be updated to state that it's not appropriate to use fluoroquinolones for uncomplicated urinary tract infections, bronchitis, or sinus infections. And that the studies had shown that for those, for those conditions, they are the, the risks, the risks do not outweigh the benefits or the benefits do not, not outweigh the risks. Sorry. I had to, had to get that, had to get that straight. So, um, yeah, that even the FDA is realizing that these drugs should not be used willy-nilly for everything that they have been used yes. for. So, and here's another question: How in this day and age, where there's so much hesitation on one hand to prescribe antibiotics, that they throw an antibiotic with quite a bit of risks at? Everybody is this is this just because there are different standards in different parts of the country and doctors have different ideas or what's your sense of that? So my sense is that there are, that people in the U.S. physicians in the U.S. actually aren't really hesitating to to prescribe antibiotics and maybe people in the in the Lyme disease community are are finding otherwise because kind of going back from multiple courses of antibiotics you know sometimes doctors are are putting the brakes on that but um often these are prescribed these drugs are prescribed in uh, a lot of a lot of the little clinics like kind of walk-in clinics okay that you see so so when it's suspected that someone has an infection, these drugs are just thrown at people because they'll, they'll really kill any sort of bacteria. Um, they are the nuclear bombs of antibiotics. Other than the fact, like there are there are bacteria who, who become resistant to these antibiotics, like sure. uh, fluoroquinolones face antibiotic resistance, just like the other antibiotics out there. But um, uh, yeah, it, it seems like. Well, when we don't have time to do a a culture, then this is just the antibiotic you get because it'll it'll probably wipe out whatever you have. Okay. Is the attitude that a lot of people are faced with, and um, yeah, like, like I don't, I haven't really been seeing very much prudence. Um, a lot of people are prescribed uh, Cipro, especially, but also Levaquin and Avalox for travelers' diarrhea. Like just prophylactically, they're given a prescription of Cipro when they go overseas, and like that is incredibly inappropriate. Certainly, in my opinion, to be using these drugs when when a confirmed infection is, isn't even in place, and for something like traveler's diarrhea, where basically all you have to do is stay hydrated and take some Pepto Bismol, and you can take care of it. Like, why risk your health, and why why take something that could cause a multi symptom chronic illness if you don't have to? And doctors are giving these drugs out all the time for that. I guess it works most of the time, except for when, like when it, it doesn't. You know, like, like I want to, I, I, like I almost sound like I'm like selling the antibiotics here, you know, <laughs> like I want, I want to warn people away from these antibiotics actually, because like they are, they, they, they are being prescribed inappropriately. These are incredibly powerful drugs that should be treated as incredibly powerful drugs. And I think that the best way to think about them is to think about them like they're chemo drugs. And truly, they are. 
They are what are called topoisomerase interrupters. And that topoisomerases are basically an enzyme that lets your DNA and RNA replicate smoothly. And uh, bacteria also have topoisomerase enzymes. And so it blocks the bacterial topoisomerase enzymes. And so those, so those bacterial DNA and RNA can't replicate properly. And that's what kills them. That's how the antibiotics work. That's how all fluoroquinolones work. So it's not just a simple antibiotic where it's latching onto various things like in your gut and just killing them off. It's actually shutting down RNA and DNA synthesis globally. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, it's doing that for both the, both the bacteria and it's also doing that for mitochondria. So Um, for the people who who um, you know don't don't remember studying about mit- mitochondria, uh, like our, our mitochondria that have their own DNA, okay. and the the basic thought is that our mitochondria are ancient bacteria that were kind of absorbed into um, what turned into eventually our, our eukaryotic cells. So so the right they DNA- don't have they don't have human DNA, quote unquote. I mean, they're inside it, us, but their DNA is different than yeah, it's another se- it's cell. Separate. Our, yeah. our mitochondrial DNA is different from our, our skin regular, cell. Yeah, our, our regular DNA. The rest of our the rest of our cellular DNA, yeah. and these these drugs, these fluoroquinolones, do the same thing to our mitochondrial DNA, and it ends up that they that they deplete this mitochondrial DNA. So. So you really don't want that happening, no, and you don't. right, like, yeah. like like we'd kind of like to keep our DNA, our DNA in place. We'd like it to not be not be depleted, and it leads to a massive amount of oxidative stress. It leads to a massive amount of uh, of cell death, um, and, and and we can we can take a certain amount of mitochondrial death. We right. could take a certain amount of cell death. We could take a certain amount of oxidative stress. But once those things add up. Eventually, your body can't compensate for those things anymore, and it leads to things like multi-symptom chronic illness. And you know, all of the symptoms—you know—if I list the symptoms, they're honestly the same thing. They're the—they're a lot of the same symptoms as people with with Lyme disease. Things yeah. like like horrible exhaustion, um, aching, aching in your in your joints. Um, uh, something that is specific for fluoroquinolone toxicity is tearing of tendons. And these drugs actually carry a black box warning for for tendon ruptures. Um, horrible peripheral neuropathy, so um, pain in your hands and feet. A lot of people end up not being able to walk for a long time after after taking these drugs because the peripheral neuropathy is so bad. Autonomic nervous system problems, uh, things like you lose losing the ability to sweat, having your having your um, like extreme dry eyes, losing one's balance, losing one's flexibility, uh, seems to be an endocrine disruptor too. A lot of these things, um, certainly one of the theories is that they're endocrine disruptors and, and a lot of these symptoms are related to the thyroid. Lots of central nervous system sy- symptoms, horrible, horrible insomnia. Insomnia. Insomnia, even psychosis. Uh, uh, People have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh, Anxiety, anxiety just through the roof. Hmm. And 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 these are these are all horrible symptoms. And most of them, there there's hardly there are hardly any floxies out there where they have one of these symptoms. 
99% of people out there have multiple symptoms. Right. Now, so. tell us, tell us your, well, t- first question before I ask, I'm going to ask you your, your story. It, tell us what happened with you. What's the incidence? Like how, how often are people succumbing to these Floxy drugs? So it's, it's really hard to tell. And actually this is, that's one of those things that makes this a really tricky illness. So um, the effects are often delayed. And so it's really difficult for people to piece together exactly uh, where their illness came from. Um, a lot of people have been prescribed these fluoroquinolones multiple times. And the first time they took it, they were perfectly fine or, you know, maybe it even, it even helped and it doesn't really register to them until, um, after taking it multiple times that, that these drugs have hurt them. So like for me personally, let me just give you like a little start of my personal example. So I, um, I took, Cipro for the first time back in, it was either 2009 or 2010. I don't, I don't remember exactly. And I didn't react badly to it at all. I was fine. Um, perfectly fine after, after that for the next two years until I took it in 2011 and I was fine while I was taking it. I think I, I felt a little bit off while I was taking it, but about a week and a half, two weeks later, it felt like a bomb went off in my body. Like everything went wrong in my body. So there was that two week lag. I think that, that one of the things that set off the bomb was that I, I went through a hormonal shift, um, started my period. And another thing was that I, I started taking Advil to deal with menstrual cramps and the documented effects, the interactions between fluoroquinolones and, um, NSAIDs non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs right. like ibuprofen um it's it's decently well documented like and that's is, also a, a pretty big is that a liver toxicity thing do you think or is it somewhere else that maybe these drugs are piggybacking uh i'm not sure okay to tell you to tell you the truth i do there there have been some really fascinating articles about the liver toxicity at aspects and and these drugs definitely uh do cause some liver toxicity in some people um i recently just posted a story about a gentleman his he he turned jaundiced immediately almost lost his life actually wow. ended up diabetic uh it, and had a a liver biopsy that confirmed that it was the Cipro that damaged his liver. But, um, but having such an extreme reaction is that that is rare. Um, but liver toxicity certainly does happen and liver toxicity may actually be the, the ultimate, ultimately what's, what's going on. And the articles that I've read about the liver, about liver toxicity say that our, our livers actually have some mechanisms in them that, that, uh, are, are possible reasons for these for this delayed toxicity that uh, kind of rather than rather than killing you immediately, <laughs> it like you know puts out some enzymes later on that that create this delayed toxicity. And you know I'm not a biochemist. I don't. I, I certainly can't. Not without it right in front of me. I can't explain exactly how the how these liver enzymes uh, work. But but certainly our livers absolutely have something to do with this. And then were, were you able to be diagnosed 
by a physician or physicians or naturopath or somebody? Or was this something you had to come on, come across on your own and research on your own? So uh, mainly the latter. Mainly, mainly I had to figure it out on my own because I went from, I was 32 years old. I'd just turned 32 and I had been doing CrossFit. I'd been going to the gym just about every day, just leading like a very active lifestyle. I had finished my master's degree. I had a job, you know, everything, everything was, was just going very normally for me. I was just being like a normal active 32 year old. And then once the bomb went off in me, I couldn't walk anymore. Oy. Like my feet, my feet hurt so badly that I couldn't walk. I had hives all over my body. I I lost my memory. I lost my reading comprehension. Like, like I couldn't think and I couldn't move anymore. And so, of course, I went to the doctor and the doctor ran all sorts of tests and said, you're fine. I'm like, I'm not fine. (laughs) Like, I I don't know what version, what world you're living in, but this isn't fine. Like, like I'm something is going on with me. Something is going wrong. Yeah. And and I um actually ended up going to like my acupuncturist is the one who really put together the pieces for me because like I went through I went through all sorts of tests and and kind of went down several alleys as far as like exploring like well what in the world is going on i was like is this candida is this an autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. like what in the world what is it lyme like what what in the world is it and all the tests were coming back negative and then you know my my acupuncturist put together the pieces and said you know you took cipro recently and you could have these delayed reactions and it can it can cause this multi-symptom chronic illness And then I I started researching and got in touch with other people who the same thing had happened. So unfortunately, there is no test. I would guess that there's some sort of antibodies, either like liver antibodies or, you know, endocrine antibodies. Mm -hmm. People, people seem to, um, there's a lot of similarity between the thyroid related autoimmune diseases and fluoroquinolone toxicity. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if, um, if a lot of people have some of the thyroid antibodies, um, going on. Um, but anyhow, like there's no specific antibody that's been found that shows fluoroquinolone toxicity. And, And so it's basically like if you were fine one day and then you took this drug and then you were no longer fine anymore, um, that's kind of your sign. Yeah. So first of all, yay for acupuncturists. That's my day job is I'm an acupuncturist. Awesome. And uh, one of our jobs, I think, is to stay outside of the box so we can think of things like Lyme disease, like this fluoroquinolone poisoning, I'll call it, right. Right. syndrome, toxicity, whatever it actually is. And the other thing is, what did you do to bring yourself back? The other thing that's being sparked by our discussion here is one of the things that happens with Lyme. First of all, the Lyme test that we have right now, only so-so. It misses so many of the cases, maybe 50%, maybe more than that. Um, and that's just because the antibodies are specific to one strain of the bacteria, blah, blah, blah. But you know, now I'm listening to you. It's like, especially with this overlap of symptoms, is like, can a tick bite... And an infection, even after it's cleared out, trigger be one of these triggers. Like you said, you had your second dose 
of Cipro that triggered you, and then it was a delayed reaction. Um, you know, it's like, man, there's, they sound like similar pathways. So the, the, you know, often with Lyme disease, what you want to do is you want to kill the bacteria. But once the bacteria is gone, there's this recovery. And people talk about the same thing. It's like their thyroids aren't functioning, their adrenals aren't functioning, their mitochondria aren't functioning, they still might be toxic. Maybe they have some genetic things that uh, predispose them to not detoxifying very well, the MTHFR uh, variant, and so forth and so on. So what we all have our strategies, infrared saunas, diet, you know, various herbs and things like that. What did you do to bring yourself back to begin to regain your health? So, so before I answer that, you, you brought up something that I, I just want to address. Like a lot of people have wondered whether or not fluoroquinolones can bring out latent Lyme disease or maybe even latent Epstein-Barr virus. Um, basically, yeah, just bringing up something that that is already there. And it's possible. I don't want to entirely poo-poo that theory, but I haven't seen anything in any of the literature that right. suggests that that it's bringing out um, some sort of latent virus. I was actually thinking the other way, ar- the other way around. Like there's the original, there's like you, you had your second dose of Cipro, right? So your first dose probably did something to you. Let's, right. it's, it's pure speculation here, right? This is not scientific, this is speculation. But probably did some damage. You took your second dose and that pushed you over the edge. I'm wondering right. if there are other triggers to push you over the, again, over the edge yeah. other than just another dose of a fluoroquinolone. Like yeah. another infection, an, another damage to the mitochondria hit in some way. Right. It, right. And I, I think for, for all of these multi-symptom chronic diseases, it's, it's so hard to pinpoint yeah. exactly what pushes someone over the edge. Um, and, and, and then, and that's why I want to get to like what you did to recover because if there are overlaps in recovery, it's like th- then, but if there's things specifically to fluoroquinolones, you have to do something specific to bring back. But if they're just general rebuilding strategies, then it doesn't matter really what the cause is or what triggered what or chicken or egg. You just do the basics. So right. Right. And, and, and for better or for worse, I think that that really is the case that, that the, the best things for Floxies to do are the same things that are the best things for people with Lyme to do or, or people with um, ME chronic fatigue to do or, or autoimmune diseases, you know, and, and, you know, so I'm not sure that I, that I could tell people a whole lot of new stuff, but I could certainly tell them what, what helped me and yeah. what has some other people. It's so because- critical because we want to, we want to find the shiny new take the, give me this pill that's going to fix me. And so often just comes back to, to the basics. So let's right. please tell, please tell us. Right. Right. Yeah. So the things that helped me the most, my, my acupuncturist, I really, I credit my acupuncturist with saving my life. I, I really do. And no, McKay did not pay me to say that. Um, uh, he, he helped me immensely. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it was the needles. I'm not sure if it was the herbs that he gave me. The herbs were immensely helpful, um, just calming my system down, calming my anxiety down quite a bit. Because I, I, I was having a massive amount of anxiety, as I, I think is actually pretty reasonable when it feels like a bomb has gone off in your body. And, and I think that just the guidance and the hope that he gave me was incredibly important. Um, taking some, taking supplements helped. 
magnesium is a really big one. Magnesium seems to help most people. Mm-hmm. Um, I took just a plain old chelated magnesium supplement. A lot of people have been helped by other types of magnesium, things like magnesium threonate and, uh, and topically applied magnesium oil, which yep. is a uh, mag chloride, I believe. Those seem to be the most popular ones. Uh, I took, goodness, like all sorts of supplements. Fish oils were, fish oils were great. Um, some basic B, B vitamin supplements. Uh, uridine was particularly helpful. So what is uridine? I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is. If it's (laughs) like an enzyme or exactly what it is. It's, um, it's supposed to help with, uh, with mitochondria and another Another thing that it helps with is with GABA production. Yes. yes. Okay. So, um, so uridine, I, I've never been entirely clear on what my dosage should be. So I've always been, I need to talk to a naturopath about that. But uridine, I think, is, is very helpful. Um, spirulina mm-hmm. was helpful. Uh, I, I think for just kind of generally, generally cleansing. I'm trying to like look over to my, to my supplements right now. Um, some, so antioxidants, like, like all of, all of the antioxidants, like from, from your basic vitamin C, but, but not ascorbic acid, um, a higher quality vitamin C, uh, coenzyme Q10. I'm sorry. Did you do glutathione? You know, I didn't do any injections, but a lot of people have been helped by glutathione IVs. Um, and, and I know that there are other ways that you can increase your, your glutathione, but I was able to improve, um, without doing any IVs. And I ended up trying some of the, the other types of glutathione supplements mm-hmm. after I was, I was largely recovered. So I didn't end up uh, feeling that much of a difference, but interesting that you mentioned glutathione. There's this really great study that showed that all sorts of antioxidants were seriously depleted by all of the fluoroquinolones and glutathione was one that was really, really seriously depleted. Um, so, you know, anyone who knows the benefits of glutathione don't take fluoroquinolones or else you'll get the opposite. <laughs> it will deplete that glutathione and, and antioxidants. It's not antioxidants and, and oxidant reactions. It's not as easy as just, um, Oh, well I'm low on, I I've got a little bit too much oxidative stress. I'll just take an antioxidant and that'll just undo it. You yeah. know, our, our bodies are just much more complex than that. Um, I, I took I took other supplements, a lot of just trial and error, and it seems like everyone's body is a bit different when it comes when it comes to those things. Um, the IVs that seem to have helped helped a lot of people are glutathione and ozone. Okay. Seems to be one that helps that helps people quite a bit uh, in doing Myers cocktails. Hmm. Helps people. Um, I do caution, you know, everyone be careful. Talk to your naturopath or or whomever. Be careful with with all of those IVs. So, I just think that caution is, is warranted. Uh, movement, gentle movement. Like I went from being incredibly athletic, like truly like doing CrossFit and working out at the gym four days a week to barely being able to move. And it stunk a bit to have to just go back to just really gentle exercises, but gentle exercises helped me quite a bit. Things like swimming, Pilates, yoga, um, 
those things helped a lot. Mindfulness. I took a class called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Mm -hmm. And and I think anything that stimulates your vagus nerve and uh, gets you, gets kind of that mind-body connection and especially within the, within the autonomic nervous system. I think those things are really, really helpful. Did you do breathing exercises? I, I tried to do, I tried to do breathing exercises. <laughs> I think that I think that breathing exercises are valuable and important, um, and that absolutely people people who are negatively affected by fluoroquinolones should should do those things. But not you. <laughs> and me too. I'm uh, not very good at it, but I should. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I'm like terrible at meditating. It's like I sit still and I feel ants crawling all over me. It just, I need to do something movement like yoga, like Pilates. Just right. sitting there and breathing makes me insane. So. Do, do, doing like <laughs> Tai Chi or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like as I've healed and, and I've been recovered for several years now, like it's easy to just let those, those good practices go by the wayside. Um, and and I, I try to keep up with my meditation practices and my breathing exercises and my swimming and things like that but it's easy to it's easy to fall into old patterns once I once I feel felt well again but I do recognize that I have some sort of um that there's something about how I was living before and like whether that's like a genetic predisposition or you know some sort of yin yang thing or maybe or maybe just like how I was uh just living my life that predisposed me toward getting sick. So, you know, maybe I, maybe I should keep those adjustments that kept me well or that got me well, (laughs) you know, but easier said than done. Absolutely. Do, do Floxies relapse? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. And many things can set off a relapse. Um, Sometimes intense exercise can set off a relapse. A lot of people have relapsed by taking NSAIDs, even something as simple as ibuprofen. Extreme stress can cause a relapse. Um, getting some sort of other disease, you know, th- something like uh, Lyme disease, you know, if you get bit by a tick and you get Lyme, that could certainly throw people through through a tailspin. Yeah, um, yeah just getting getting a pretty serious virus can cause people can cause people to relapse unfortunately. Now, yeah. Have you done infrared saunas? Have you done heat therapy anything like that? I have not. Okay. I'm reading a fascinating another one of Dave's guests, uh researcher out of University of Washington and I'm going to blank on his name right now. He's did some research. He's listen to this about uh water and the structure of water. Uh-huh. And essentially, his studies showing that the infrared wavelengths in particular help the water get organized and create charges that the body then uses to generate energy. Does your temperature run low by any chance? I don't think so. Okay. You're at 98.6, pretty close. Uh, you know, I, 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 I honestly, I honestly am not sure. I know that I, I run really hot as far as I'm feel as, feel as far hot. as how I'm feeling, but I don't know if that, if that relates to my actual. It, I, so I have this, yeah, t- t- just check this later sometimes. I'm, I'm very, very curious. Just take your temperature, see if it's a little bit low. So I've got this theory that people, and I think this ties in with the whole thyroid thing somehow is if, if our, if the water in your body's, requires this extra heat 
to to get organized. And so his theory is way out there, but I like way out there stuff. I'm an acupuncturist. That you're, that the water in your body is taking extra heat from you and you just run a little bit cool. So you could feel hot, but you're still running like oh, so many of my chronic illness patients are a little bit low, uh, you know, a degree low. And when they get sick, even two degrees low, something like that. And I'm just curious if it's not that the, the water in the body itself is just absorbing more of our own heat. And we just, it's almost like diabetes. You can't produce enough heat to get yourself healthy. So you need to generate, like, do you feel better when you're in the sun and you get nice and toasty warm? I'm more of a... It does go the other way around. And like it, it goes the other way around. Okay. Like I'm, okay. I'm of Swedish descent and, <laughs> and I don't, I'm not very good at sweating. I completely lost my ability to sweat uh, when I, for a couple of years while I was floxed. Like my, my sweat glands just didn't work. Shut down. So I'm, I'm a cool weather creature, but I'm, I'm still interested in, in what you have to say. And like, and, and it wasn't Jack by any chance no it wasn't no he's another he's out there even further right <laughs> dr cruz right. so, so yeah. he wrote he wrote something that was interesting that what you just said reminded me of like he was he he was answering someone's question about mm-hmm. fluoroquinolone toxicity and he said something about um that it's the fluorine in the fluoroquinolones yeah. and so obviously like if you just listen to the name fluoroquinolones like they've got a fluorine um it's not a molecule fluorine atom added to added to it to increase intensity mm-hmm. and there's there's a lot of debate about whether or not whether it's the quinolone or the fluorine or part of the quinolone or whatever that's causing the fluoroquinolone toxicity and and I'm not sure it could be that this is I mean fluorine is a major oxidant but one of the things that Jack Krause said in this article about fluoroquinolone toxicity is that like the fluorine like unzips your cells and causes them to become very leaky. And one thing that you need mm. to do is get away from blue light. And the blue right. light is emitted from all of our devices, right. from our, our computers and our phones and our TVs. And, uh, you know, our light bulbs are these, are these compact fluorescent light bulbs instead of, instead of, um, regular old fashioned light bulbs. And like that's just a lot of the, the blue light. That is really bad for us. And what we need is more red light and the natural light from the sun. And, and, and I'm, I'm honestly not sure what I think about his theories. I don't, I don't, I haven't researched them very, very much. And there were some things about his tone, honestly, in the article that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, except it's still interesting. And I think it's certainly worth a try for people to just stay away from the, get off of your computer, get off of your phone, go take a break, get grounded and spend some time in the sun. And, and is that, you know, it's not going to be quite that simple. No. I think for, for any sort of chronic mysterious illness, except all of those things are really worth a try. Yeah. It's right. It's not right. It's not that that's going to cure you, but it's one more piece. I, there's so many. So in, as an acupuncture, I think there's so many invisible kind of hits or things we've dropped out of our healthcare just just because we've become so advanced. And I mean, if, I don't mean, I'm not a Luddite. It's not like, you know, kill your computer and, and go back and live in a yurt somewhere. That's not what I'm saying. 
But there's so many, it's like a good night's sleep. So part of the blue light issue is the effect it has on the pituitary gland and it keeps you up and you don't produce melatonin and interferes with the cycles. And part of our design as human beings is to be in sync with daylight. You know, that's part of the acupunctures. There are treatments we do to, to resync the body with uh, sunrise and sunset. And they're, they're a critical piece of that. And as you know, you take one hit. So you, you can, you know, you can handle staying up late, but if you're sick and you're not getting a good night's sleep or your sleep cycle is disrupted and you're eating too much sugar and you've got high stress and you don't do things to relax, you don't get any exercise, these things start piling up. You know, and then you take another hit, like invisible thing, like something that's supposed to be good for you. Doctor hands you Cipro and say, "Here, this will take care of your urinary tract infection." And then it does take care of the urinary tract infection, but I don't know what it is. What three weeks, three months later, all of a sudden the wheels fall off your bus, and you're thinking, "Wow, you know that my my mother's death really hit me more than I thought it did," or you know, I'm having a mental breakdown, and and we just don't know. There's just so many invisible things out there. All, and all of these things accumulate too. Yeah. And, and some of us, some of us are more able to handle the accumulation than others. And, and, and I think that all of us who have these illnesses, these mysterious illnesses, these illnesses of being pushed over the edge, whether it's our mitochondria that are getting pushed over the edge, whether it's, um, you know, no, kind of no matter what theory of fluoroquinolone toxicity, or sorry, those are the ones that I'm most familiar with, but mm-hmm. they're in common with a lot of the other disease, disease, um, theories, you know, if it's, if it's mitochondrial depletion, if it's, um, if it's mineral depletion, if it's your gut microbiome yeah. that, that gets depleted, if it's, if it's your, um, uh, all sorts of endocrine disruptions, whether that be your adrenals or your thyroid or a combination of those, whether it be liver toxicity, like all of those, all of those things, like we're really the canaries in the coal mine. Right. And kind of saying to the, to the world, like, Hey, our environment is too toxic. Like it's, it's so toxic that it's causing some cellular shutdown here. And, you know, people who have Lyme understand what it feels like to have some cellular shutdown. Yes. And and adding some fluoroquinolones to the mix is truly adding insult to injury. It it really is. I just want to make sure that people are aware of the increased cellular damage that can be done by these by these drugs. And they have a place and the place is is in order to save a life. Right. And, and if your life is threatened and you absolutely have to have antibiotics, you know, you, you need to make that call as to whether or not these are appropriate drugs to take. And in, in life or death cases, I think that most people would probably say that, that they would take them, that they would take them. There are a lot of folks out there that say, let me die. Yes. Seriously. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, someone who has mold illness, like, well, if it was a life or death situation, would you like take a breath of mold again? And they're like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> let me die. Yeah. Or, you know, all, all, all of those things. And, you know, I understand that, that people with really severe Lyme, sometimes you need some antibiotic treatments. But, you know, fluoroquinolones, they add insult to injury. And it, your point. It just, 
me for those people. Yes, exactly. Your point that they're more in a class with chemotherapy drugs than the other antibiotic, I think is really hits home. It's something easy to understand and easy to grab hold of. So you're not just saying it's just another antibiotic. It's not just another antibiotic. It's a whole different class. And if people who are listening to this have questions about if they've had Cipro and they're wondering where can they get more information, where, what do you have available for these folks? So my, my main website is floxyhope.com and that's F-L-O-X-I-E-H-O-P-E.com. And if you go to the links and resources page, and, and there's just a link in the top for, for links and resources, you will find more information about fluoroquinolones than you want, I'm sure. So, so there are a whole bunch of media articles. And then if you look below that, there's a bunch of research. And people can find out all about um, you know, cellular interactions of, flor- of fluoroquinolones and how they cause oxidative stress and damage mitochondria and, and why I say that they're, that they're chemotherapy drugs and their mechanism of action. Like I said, they're, they're topoisomerase interrupters. And, you know, there are other reasons why I say that they're chemotherapy drugs, not just that they're topoisomerase interrupters, but like really anything that's disrupting your DNA and RNA replication, like it's a serious drug. Yeah. It's a really, really serious drug. Um, but I think for, for, getting, for getting the best feel of like what exactly this means, I think that people should read patient stories. And there are some recovery stories on foxyhope.com. And most of those recovery stories go over like the, the sickness story as well. Um, I also manage a website called the Fluoroquinolone Wall of Pain. And that's fqwallofpain.com. And people can take a look at those stories too. And if those resonate with you, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're a Floxy and a Limey as well. But the yeah. people who I know who have both uh, fluoroquinolone toxicity and Lyme say that the symptoms feel different. Like even though you describe them the same way, even yeah. though like achy joints are yep. described as achy joints or brain fog is described as brain fog, they say it feels different. Hmm. But I'm not sure exactly how, because I, at least as far as I know, I don't think I have Lyme. I hope you don't. I hope I don't. <laughs> Gosh, you know, like, like, like one, one scary chronic illness yes. is, is, is enough. But like I said, I've recovered. You know, and, but also, like I was saying, unfortunately, people do have, have relapses, but knock on wood, I hope I don't get, I don't, I hope I don't experience that. Right. And in closing, this brings it to a, a beautiful point. This is the last question I want to ask. As someone who's had a severe chronic illness, what, what advice do you have for people who are really slogging through and working their way through trying to figure out what's, you know, what kept you going? What, what advice do you have for people like that? You know, I think kind of inadvertently, um, just starting my site, floxyhope.com. I think that the most important thing that that site does is it gives people hope and just knowing that there are people out there who recover and there, there are different methods for recovering. There's no one size fits all. And I know that everyone wants some sort of magic bullet. Everyone wants their, some, someone out there to invent, invent some sort of pill that will cure all of us, you know? And in some ways, I wish that for all of us. But, but I think that 
for right now, the most helpful thing, the thing that helps everyone is to be as hopeful and positive as you can be and read those stories of recovery and, um, you know, try to try not to compare yourself too much to the way that you used to be. Um, try letting go of anger is so much easier said than done. And, you know, when you get poisoned, I think it's entirely reasonable to feel angry. And I think it's entirely reasonable for people in the Lyme community to feel really angry about the lack of attention that their disease gets, but, but to not let the anger build up in you too much so that it eats you alive. Just, you know, I, I think just stay hopeful, you know, as much as you can and doing whatever you possibly can to maintain a generally positive attitude. It helps. We're all connected. Like our mind, body, and spirit, like all of those things are connected. That's beautiful. Thank you. You know, you started talking about this a little bit in your interview with Lisa, but really the similarities between chronic Lyme disease and this fluoroquinolone toxicity syndrome, they are very striking. You know, you're so right. The more interviews we do, it's like we're discovering or learning about, I should say, we're not discovering, but we're learning about, we're hearing about all different ways that the body can become toxic. And then this toxicity all seems to lead to mitochondrial damage. We've got to get some people on the air with us on Lyme Ninja Radio to talk about mitochondria and exactly what they're doing and how they get damaged and how to repair them. Because it really seems to be central point to fully recovering from Lyme disease. We got to do that. Make a note. Yeah, I'll make a note. <laughs> okay, great. And if you like Lime Ninja Radio, please click on over to iTunes and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And last, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of this day. Did you know a ninja can light a fire by rubbing two ice cubes together? Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.